With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, the powerhouse back there. Have a good time. We know you will. Everybody else, if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Acts chapter 1, 12 through 26. And uh, while we're thanking people, we want to say a big thank you to Jane, uh, who was just up here giving those roses, and, and to all you ladies who... Uh, pitched in to help and, and say thank you. You know, it's it's one thing for the pastor to say thank you to someone, but it's another when it comes from one of our own. And so I think that's that's a great thing that we are a church of gratitude to one another and that we show our appreciation to one another. That speaks very highly of, of us, of, of you, uh, and how much we love each other. So again, we appreciate that. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. The title of the message today and really the whole uh, point is how to make the right decision when you face a big decision. How to make the right decision when you face a big decision. And once you're at uh, Acts chapter 1 verses 12 through 26, if you want to stand and we'll read the Bible together this morning. Luke, who is a later follower of Jesus, is writing about the actions of the disciples after Jesus went to heaven. And this is literally immediately after Jesus goes back to heaven. This is what happens. Then they returned to Jerusalem, talking about the disciples from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were in one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and Jesus' brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of people was about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Verse 18. Now this man acquired a fill, talking about Judas, with the reward of his wickedness and fell headlong. He burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. Pretty graphic stuff. Verse 19, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Alchemia, that is, filled of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell on it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from among us, one of these men must become with us as a witness to Jesus' resurrection. And they put forward two men, Joseph, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen take the place in his ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Verse 26, And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive, that it is active, that it is the solid truth, the only truth. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to be more in love with you and to draw closer to you today. Father, I ask that you would anoint these lips of clay and flesh, that these would be your words and not mine. We love you. We thank you. We're nothing without you. We give this day to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. How to make the right decision when you face a big decision. A few weeks ago when we talked about the first half of chapter 1, we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. It was an exciting sermon. You know, I mean, I was pumped up. I was ready to go. Today is almost a very different tone. It's almost more of a teaching than what you might consider preaching. And, but we're going to look at it. It's all God's Word. And we think it's, it's, it's very interesting. There's some tension here because I don't know how many of you have ever made a decision and later regretted it or you made a decision and then second-guessed yourself or you make a decision that impacts other people in a big way the first year of my marriage was one of the worst years of our entire marriage because I made a horrific decision out of God's will there was uh, I was getting married and and uh, we were trying to, to be in, in ministry and looking to be a youth pastor. I was also graduating college, trying to be licensed with, uh, you know, this certain denomination. And, and I was just in a hurry to get started. I just couldn't wait. I waited all my life since I was three years old to be in ministry, and I just couldn't wait. So the first position that came along, I'd love to tell you that being the great Christian that I am, I prayed about it. I did not. It, it opened up. Hey, I'm getting married. Uh, I want to be in ministry, and I took it. We were miserable that entire year. All I wanted to do was get out of there. It affected not only me, but it affected my marriage. It not only affected us, but the, the, we were youth pastors. It affected the kids we were trying to lead closer to God because our hearts weren't in it. I just, and it was all my fault, and I regret that, and probably always will. I made a decision in haste that affected other people. Have you ever made a decision that you regret later? You wish you could do anything in the world. You would give a million dollars to go back and redo that decision. You regret it to this day. Have you ever made a decision that you thought was only going to influence you or impact you, but it's a decision that you didn't think about it, but it, as a result, like ripples on a pond, has affected other people in your life? Judas probably didn't think about when he committed suicide after he uh, betrayed Jesus. He, in haste, that very night, went out and hung himself and he committed suicide. He didn't think about that. And so because, and there's a lot of cause and effect here in Acts throughout the whole book, but here, because of Judas's actions and his decision, the effect is he didn't think about, well, we're going to be one guy short and I'm leaving my teammates behind. The other 11 guys. And it's not like Judas was the only one that betrayed Jesus. Jesus, They all betrayed Jesus. Everyone, Jesus says, betrayed him. Peter is very famous for betraying Jesus. But Peter came back to repentance with Christ. But nonetheless, Judas makes this decision. It's a permanent decision, obviously. And because of that, it affects the rest of the 11. He makes this decision in haste. We all make decisions every day. Some of us big, some small, some stressful, some easy. You know, you, you make the decision what you're going to wear, what route you'll take to work. You make the decision, uh, all kinds of decisions, what you're going to have for lunch, big and small, some big decisions. Are you going to take this job? Are you going to sell your house? Are you going to move here? Are you going to do this and do that? Are you going to invest this money? Are you going to try to move up in your company? Whatever the case is, we make all kinds of decisions. 
That's what we're talking about today, how to make the right decision when you face a big decision. And here in Acts 1, the disciples make their first major decision after Jesus left. And what was it? It was an HR decision, human resources, personnel decision. Isn't that fascinating to you? That out of all the things, Jesus has just went to heaven. And literally that day, or the very next day, the disciples get together. And of all the things they could have talked about, of all the things they could have decided, the number one thing on their mind is, we got to replace Judas. And, and, and as I have been studying this, and as I've told you, I've studied Acts a number of times throughout my life, that I always have been puzzled by this. And I've always said, Holy Spirit, why would you include this, this verses 12 through 26 of Acts chapter 1 in the Bible. I mean, Matthias, this guy we talk about, this is the only place he's mentioned, right? He's not like Paul who goes on to do great big things for God, and maybe he does, but it's not recorded in the New Testament. Why? Of all the things these guys could have talked about, of all the things that we could have known and, and had a glimpse into their world, the moments after Jesus left, 24 hours after he goes back to heaven, what they decide to do. This is it. It's a personnel decision. And I prayed about it. I've struggled with it. Of what's the significance of it? Why is it even in the Bible? Not that it's not important, but where's the importance of it? And I believe it's to show us how to make big decisions. Think about this. The first decision these guys make after Jesus leaves is to replace Judas. They had a lot of other things on their plate, but the number one thing is to replace Judas. Now, quick side note, you think, well, why do they need to replace him? Because there's only 11 of them, so why do they need the 12th man? They're not like the Seahawks, you know, or, or some football team that they need the 12th man. But the idea is that they are to represent the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament. And so they are to restore the Jewish people or Israel, not to dominate the Roman Empire, but to come back to believe that Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. So it's a symbolic thing as well. Because there's other places in Acts that we'll see where people are, are, are murdered for their faith and they don't necessarily replace them. So why is this so special? Because because again, they're trying to make a statement to the Jewish people that the 12 tribes, 12 disciples, uh, to restore them to faith in Christ as the Messiah. But this is a huge decision. I mean, think about that. Who are we going to get to replace Judas? Big, big decision. One of the biggest, if not the biggest, they could ever make. Think about it. Judas was a guy that betrayed not only Jesus, but he betrayed us. Now we have to find someone to be on our team, our ministry partner, forever for life and so we don't want to you know make a decision and, and like a Judas someone that will betray us later we want to make the right decision I mean this is big who's going to replace him to be one of the original you know 12 disciples kind of a thing big big decision they face here like we face big decisions as well again we need to understand that someone else's bad decision can negatively affect you just like Judas Judas's bad decision negatively, in a sense, affected the disciples. Instead of just kind of going right on into ministry, now they have to stop and think about how they're going to replace him. That's the cause and effect. However, this is another side note, but what I think is interesting is that because God's plan is bigger than any one person, God can use the negative events in our lives to positively impact others. Isn't that interesting? God's plan, we have to understand, God's will is bigger than any one person. What we mean by that is, I could die today on the way home. Hopefully that won't happen. But if I did, would the church fold up? Would the church close its doors? Absolutely not. Hopefully that never happened. That this church is bigger than Brian. 
And that's good. That's the way we want it. It's bigger than that. That people sometimes think that everything in our life revolves around this one person. And if this one person messes up, or maybe they did mess up, and the consequence, the effect, is negatively impacting you because of their mistake in life, it has really messed up your plans. It's really negatively impacted and affected you. And we think, well, what am I going to do now? I had everything all planned out. I had everything set before me that was going to be perfect. And now, because of their mistake, that's it. I'm throwing in the towel. Their mistake can negatively impact you. The good news is God's grace and God's will is bigger than any one person. And God can and does very, very often, if not all the time, use that person's negative mistake, negative action, decision, and he can use it in his grace and in his will to positively impact you. What you thought would be negative, God can turn it into a positive. What negatively impacted you and smeared your life and messed up your plans, just like Judas messed up the disciples' plans, we would think, oh man, now that messed up God's plans. No, God used that negative thing that impacted the disciples and turned it into a positive. God's will continued. The disciples didn't say, well, goodness, guys, we're, we're down to 11 guys now, and so, you know, we need 12, and, and Judas did what he did, so that's it, we're throwing in the towel, we're done. They could have done that. But they understood God's will, God's plan, God's purpose is bigger than Judas. God's will and God's plan is bigger than you and I. It's bigger than those negative decisions that affect us or maybe that you've made. The mission continues. One thing that I, as you know, I love the, the pirates, the Pittsburgh pirates, not pirates of the Caribbean. I love the, the, the Pittsburgh pirates. I love them. I like Clint Hurdle, good, good guy. Clint Hurdle last season, the Pirates were riddled all season with injuries, all kinds of injuries, all over the place. Clint Hurdle and the Pirates, uh, Clint Hurdle, the manager or the coach of the Pirates, came up with a saying, it's not an original saying, but he used it all the time in his interviews, that we have a next man up mentality in our clubhouse or locker room. Well, the second baseman goes down, next man up. Who's going to take his place? That doesn't mean we don't like the second baseman or we don't respect him and want him to get better. No, we do. But the team goes on. We still have to play a game tomorrow. The season continues. It doesn't just end because one guy has an injury. Next man up, step up to the plate, and let's continue on. Let's keep going forward. That's what we see here, that what God is doing is just because Judas made his decision, next man up, Matthias, now it's your turn, let's go. My plan, my will is bigger than just Judas's negative decision. I think that's amazing about God's grace. Just to summarize, God's plan for your life isn't handicapped by one person. Maybe someone did something that negatively impacted you years ago or last week or last month or whatever the case is. It negatively impacted you. You need to understand in God's grace and God's goodness that one person's negative mistake that negatively impacts you does not handicap God from working in your life, from God's will becoming made beautiful in your life. What kind of God would he be if that was the case? What kind of God says, here's the plan for your life. Oh, someone from the outside making a negative mistake that affects you. Well, that's it. Now my hands are in the air. I don't know what to do. No, God says, I can use their mistake. I'm not going to be handicapped or stopped. My will for your life will not be stopped because of one person. It's going to continue on. That's the amazing thing about God's grace. Well, that could be a sermon in and of itself. But moving on, I want to talk about how to make a 
the right decision when you make a big decision. There's four things the disciples did here that the Bible says that show us how they made the right decision because this was the big decision that they faced. The first major decision they make after Jesus is gone, and these are quite simple, they're very biblical. First one is they were committed to unity. Look at verse 14 and then verses 21 through 23. Verse 14. All these, talking about the disciples, really all 120 people that were there at that time, men and women, all these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, the one accord is obviously not a Honda accord, okay? Just in case you were thinking, it's not a Honda accord, but they were with one accord. The idea in, in Greek is that they were of one mind. The, the, you could translate that, they were unified. Maybe your translation says that in the Bible. They were unified together. 120 people were on the exact same book, on the exact same chapter, the exact same page, exact same paragraph, exact same sentence, exact same word. That's unity. Before they make the decision, they don't just stand up and say, well, we want to do this over here, and this group wants to do that, or five of the disciples want to do this, and the other five want to do that, and then this one guy's by himself. They didn't do that. There was unity there. Before they made this major decision, they had unity. Well, how do you get unity? They discussed it amongst themselves. Again, if you look at verses 21 through 23, it talks about how they discussed this. They, so one of the men who have accompanied us, Peter is talking, one of the men who accompanied us during all this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of Jesus with John until the day Jesus was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two men. It goes on to list their names. They discussed it. How do you get unity? Well, they didn't just rush in and make a decision. They didn't just say, well, Peter, he's the leader, so whatever Peter says, that goes. He's the head guy, so we're just going to follow him blindly. No, no, no. They were in one accord. And it wasn't just the 11 disciples. Remember verse 14? They were all talking about 120 folks. Let me tell you, it's hard to get 120 people on the same page. It's like herding cats at times, okay? If you've ever tried that. It's interesting. But you're trying to get 120 people, and there's unity there. Peter and, and the other disciples don't make this decision in the dark. They make it publicly. They publicly discuss it, the pros and the cons. They say, well, if we want to replace Judas, we need some requirements. We need some, you know, a, a list of things. So that's what they say. We need a guy who has been with us from day one. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 4, all the way until just a few moments ago when Jesus went back to heaven. Someone who's been with us that entire time they list some requirements there they don't just make a decision they don't just uh, go into it haphazardly they discuss it they wait until they have unity now in this case it didn't take long to have unity they pretty much already had it but sometimes in life when we make big decisions we rush into it as I told you in the beginning I rushed into it I didn't really discuss it with my wife I just uh, maybe it's because I was a young husband and, and pretty ignorant to the ways of marriage because I thought well this is what I'm doing and hope you enjoy it now uh, now I've learned if, if she's not on board I'm not doing it really if she doesn't approve and if there's not unity in our marriage it's going to equal failure every single time in other words without unity everybody loses if you don't have unity at your job you don't have unity uh, within your place of employment guess what you're not going to be there long you're just not you don't like your boss you don't like your coworkers. rarely will someone put up with that for 30 years and retire 
You might be able to make it a year, two, three years, but you're going to be miserable every single day. You're going to gripe about it. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be discouraged. It's going to be a miserable existence. Rarely, if there's not unity, and I'm not saying everybody has to be on the same page and you agree with every decision, but you get along with those people. In a church, if there's not unity in a church, it equals church split and close the doors. I've been in those places and it's horrific. If there's not unity in your marriage and in your family, guess what? You're headed for disaster. Everybody loses. Well, I got my way. That may be true, but it cost you something irreplaceable. It cost you your marriage. It cost you the church. It cost you uh, your job or your career, whatever the case is. Yeah, you may be standing victorious at the end of the day in your own mind, but what led to that you being victorious cost you something almost irreplaceable, and that is those relationships. You rushed into something. You thought, well, this is the best way. I'm going to make this decision. There's no unity there. Everybody loses. You lose and they lose. Unity is the glue that holds people together. Notice, they, again, they discuss that. It's not just, well, whatever Peter says, that's what we will do. No, they discussed it openly. Peter wanted input and open discussion from other people. If you're in a place of leadership, maybe at your, at your job or in your family or uh, at the church, wherever the case is, look for open discussion. Don't make decisions in the closet. We, as elders, I'll pray about something for a long time and uh, try to sense what God would have us to do. Then we discuss it sometimes for months and months and, and then we'll bring it up to you and, and then we move forward. But we want open discussion. If you're in a place of leadership, look for open discussion. Look to have open dialogue, open opinions and back and forth. In your marriage, men, don't just make a decision haphazardly and, well, I'm the leader of the home and this is what we're doing. Well, no. Ladies, same thing. Well, I'm the wife of the home and this is what I'm doing. No. There needs to be unity in your home. If there's not, that's going to lead to strife and a one-way ticket to disaster. Listen to this. And maybe you want to write this down. Take your time and make the right decision in unity then hurry to make the wrong decision by yourself. Say that one more time. Take your time and make the right decision when you're unified with other people. It's smarter to do that than to hurry and make the wrong decision by yourself. I've been in both situations. After I learned that first lesson, our, our first year of marriage, I promise you I'm smart enough not to repeat the same mistake twice. From now on, any major decision we have in life, I make sure my wife is on board, that there's unity in our home. Whether we're going to do, uh, you may not consider it a big decision, and maybe we do, whatever the case is, but we pray about it. I may think, well, this is what we need to do, and, and I'm ready to go forward. I wait until there's unity in our home. Then we move forward. I would rather wait and make the right decision in unity than to hurry make the wrong decision by myself. When you do that, everybody loses. So the first thing, they were committed to unity when they make this big decision. Secondly, they were committed to prayer. Some of you might say, oh, Brian, these are pretty elementary. That may be true, but the Holy Spirit thought it important enough that, hey, when we make decisions as a church, when you make decisions in your family or at your job, this is the way to do it. He listed it here. If it wasn't important to God, he wouldn't have put it here. Secondly, they're committed to prayer. Again, verse 14, we'll read that again. All these were unified in one accord. They were devoting themselves to what? Prayer. We have men, women. We have maybe, maybe kids, not sure, but men, women, about 120 folks. They're unified. They're unified how? In prayer. They pray together. 
the cliche, but it's so true. The family that prays together stays together. I encourage as a family, pray. Not just over your lunch or over your dinner, but pray as a family. Listen, parents, it is so critically important that your kids see you and hear you praying. The best thing, one of the best things you can do as a parent is for your kids to see you coming before God in prayer. To hear you as well, not just quietly praying, although that's important, but to hear your prayers. I can remember as a kid that my parents praying all the time over us as a family. Before we go to school and just at different times, I, they would be praying all the time. I'll never forget that moment. Listen, you can take them to all the pirate games you want. You can take them all to the fun concerts you want. All that's fine. But those things are okay. But what sticks with your kids is when they see you praying. That, in fact, is how they learn to pray. How your kids learn to communicate with God is the model that you set before them. They're committed to prayer. We as a church, what did we do last Sunday? It was a Sunday devoted to worship and prayer. Prayer is a big deal. Sometimes we overlook it. It's too simplistic. It's too easy. I tried it. It didn't work. But it is one of the main things that we find throughout the Bible. In other words, without prayer, failure is guaranteed. Without prayer, failure is guaranteed. You can be unified, but if you're not unified in prayer together, you have failure. As we said, with every elder meeting we have, we pray. We pray not just, you know, God help us and bless the food. And No, God, give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Give us unity that we'll make the right decision that's your decision. Without prayer, failure is guaranteed. Verse 24 as well, if you want to look at that, says this, and they prayed twice now. We see the disciples making the number one biggest decision without Jesus or, or after Jesus had just left. And what do they do? Two times, they pray. They're unified and they pray. How are they unified? In prayer. Prayer is the catalyst for success, period. There are no shortcuts to success in God's world. There are no shortcuts to, well, if I just go to church, that equals success. Absolutely not. Well, if I can memorize certain parts of the Bible, absolutely not. Prayer is the number one catalyst vehicle of success in your life. And I don't just mean financial success like some would say. That might be part of it, but success, spiritual success in your home and in your family and in your life. They prayed. What did they pray for? Well, obviously we can uh, glean a few things, some insight. They prayed obviously for God's wisdom. They prayed for God's guidance and God's direction in making this critical decision. They didn't just openly discuss it for unity's sake, but they prayed together about this decision. Look, again, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship, which Judas turned aside to his own place. What are they saying? God, you know the hearts of all. We've discussed it amongst ourselves. We've reached somewhat of a consensus and unity, all 120 of us, and we've narrowed it down to the top two people. Now, God, it's your decision. We're unified, whatever decision you make, but we're praying, God, for your wisdom. We're praying for your guidance. We're praying for your direction in this important and critical decision that it's not going to be left up to us, but it will be left up to you. God, they're praying for your will in this situation. God's wisdom, guidance, and direction. God's will. When you're facing a major decision in your life of what you're going to do, have unity in your home and in your life with others that it impacts them. Because again, when you make a decision like Judas without, uh, by yourself, without unity and all these things, you make it in haste, you'll make the wrong decision every time. Make sure you have unity when you're making a big decision. Secondly, you pray about it. 
you wait and you, well the deadline's coming up I got to make a decision no you don't you wait and wait and wait in prayer you pray and pray and seek God in prayer third they were committed to scripture verses 15 through 20 Peter is standing up and he's discussed it says in those days Peter stood up among the brothers the company was 120 and said brothers the scripture had to be fulfilled right there scripture had to be fulfilled what the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus for he was and he's quoting scripture here for he was numbered among us and was allotted in his share in the ministry now this man acquired the field and uh, fell headlong and and then he talks about how people called it a field of blood and so on look at verse 20 again now this is the second time he's quoting scripture for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So, they're making a big decision. They don't just say, well, this is a good decision. We think that's where we're going to go with. It's the most cost effective or this is what makes good sense to me and this is just kind of common sense. I don't really need to pray about it. No, no, no. It's a huge decision that will impact not only them but the rest of God's kingdom. It's a decision that will impact how they do ministry from, from now on. And what do they do? They got unity, they're praying about it, and they study Scripture. They study Scripture. That's why I say all the time, unless it comes from God's Word, I have nothing to tell you. Unless it's the truth of Scripture that is unchanging and timeless, though culture may change, opinions may change, God's Word never changes. Unless it comes from God's Word, I have no business being up here. I have nothing to tell you. That's why I say all the time, it's so critically important that, yes, you pray, but it's critically important that you study Scripture. You don't just read it to read its sake, but you study Scripture. You ask questions. You wrestle with it. You may not get all the answers you want. Hey, that's all right. Study Scripture. Notice, before they do anything else, they got unity, they're praying, but they use Scripture as a basis for making a decision. As a church, what we believe are seven core things that we believe or you might call them doctrinal beliefs, every one of them we can back up with Scripture. We don't just believe it because it's what a denomination says or what we all voted on as a church. No, it's what's found in Scripture. You can see those on our website. The seven things we believe bound in Scripture. Well, I need to make this decision in life. Does the Bible talk about it? Yes. The decisions you need to make are found in Scripture. It's not just going to plop open to you. You have to study and you have to, to look for it. But if it's important enough to you, you'll do the work for that. Listen, raising a family, starting or working in a business, living life in general, everything is found in Scripture. Your life, your family, your home, everything must be based in Scripture. This is why we constantly say study Scripture. The Bible is the truest compass in decision making. You know, they talk about with compasses, that there's a thing called true north, which means wherever you put that compass, wherever you are on the planet, it will point to true north. That's what ships are navigated by and have been for the beginning of time. True north. No matter what happens, no matter the storms and the waves and the trials of life, the issues of life, the changing opinion of culture, there is one thing that never changes, and that needle will always, 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 not 99.9%, but 110% every single time without fail, point to true north. You can't argue with it. Scripture is true north in your life and in my life. You want to know what to do? You want to know where to go? You want to know how to make this decision? Study Scripture. It's true north. 
When you're in the fog of war, when you're in the midst of the hurricane of trials and storms of life, study Scripture. It's true north. It points for God's will in your life. As we often say, and it's true, the Bible is our guide for faith and daily living. The Bible is our guide for faith and daily living. Fourth, the fourth thing they do. They had unity. They prayed. They based their decision on Scripture. The fourth thing they did, and these aren't in any particular order, but the fourth thing they did is committed to trusting God's will. Verses 24 to 26. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us what you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Look at verse 26. It's so peculiar, maybe, to us. And they cast lots from them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. What does that mean, casting lots? They cast lots for Jesus' clothing at the cross. Maybe you remember that. But casting lots in this day, they would take stones write names on the stones. So they wrote Justice and Matthias, these two guys' names. They wrote their names on these two stones. They put them in a jar, and they swirled the stones around in this jar until one of the stones or rocks fell out. When the rock that fell out, whoever's name was on it, that's the decision they made. I can tell you, we as our church, when we make decisions for elders or big decisions, we don't do that. Not that that's bad, but that might be a little odd. Well, God, who should we have? We're going to put your name in a hat and swirl it around. Whatever name falls out, that's what we go with. It might be odd to you. But listen, after you've got unity, after you've been praying about it, and after you've studied God's word, what else is there to do but to trust God's will? Now, some of you might think, well, I, I don't know about that. Well, it reminds us in, in the book of uh, Judges in the Old Testament of a guy named Gideon. And God wanted Gideon to do this big thing for him. And Gideon said, God, I don't think I'm the right guy, but if you really want me to do it, here's what I would like to do to confirm it to me. And he had a, a test. I think it's okay. I don't think, but we see it in Scripture, so it's okay. Every now and then with decisions in your life and my life to say, God... I've prayed about it. I've got unity. I've studied your word. I really think that this is the direction I need to go. But God, would you just maybe physically confirm it to me somehow, some way? If I get this phone call today, then I'll know this is your will. Or God, if I get this email, or God, if this happens or that happens, then I'll know it's your will. That's okay to do. Is it okay to do every single time? No. But in certain decisions, it's okay. It's okay to put that, what we Christians call is a fleece before God. Talking about a, a piece of, of sheepskin, an elite wool that goes back to Gideon who we we're talking about. Once you've got unity, once you pray, once you base it in God's word, be committed to trusting God's will. And what if some of those disciples or some of the 120 would have said, Matthias, that's great. He's the loser of the two. I wish justice would, I wish this guy would have had it. He's my favorite. No. Then they really don't have unity, do they? But they said, God, we have done literally all we can do, and now the big decision is left up to you. We prayed, we got unity, we studied your word, and, and we don't want to make the final decision. We narrowed it down to these two guys, and now it's your decision to make. And whatever decision you make, God, we're good with it. We're going to go forward with it. We might have picked justice maybe, but God, obviously Matthias was the guy and that's what we're going to go with. We're not going to argue. We're not going to second guess you. We're not going to debate you. We're going to trust your will. When you've prayed about it, you've got unity, you study God's word, you wait on him and you trust his will. And when you know and you feel God is, is giving you the answer, God's leading you in a certain direction, 
you be faithful to follow that direction. Don't argue with him. Don't second guess him. The disciples could have done that. Instead, they said, God, Matthias is the guy. Now let's move forward. They never discussed it again. They never mentioned it again. It's not recorded in Acts that they did. They trusted and believed this was God's perfect will for our life and what he would have us to do. Without trusting God's will, anxiety will dominate your life. Without trusting God's will, listen, does trusting God's will mean you have all the answers before you? Absolutely not. But trusting God's will means you don't have anxiety, you're not nervous, you're not frustrated, you're not scared, you're not worried. Patiently trusting in God's will results in a life of success and a life of peace. They did all they could do. Unity, studied scripture, prayed together. God, we've narrowed it down to these two decisions. We don't know which one. We're going to leave it to you. And God, whatever one you go with, that's what we're going with. And we're not going to second guess you. We're going to accept it. Patiently trusting in God's will results in a life of success and peace. And finally, and the worst team come back. Finally this morning, how to make the right decision when you face a big decision. Maybe to you this is overly simplistic, but how many times have you made the wrong decision and you failed to do not just two of these things, but all of them? See, that's the key. That's the real uh, kicker is sometimes we think, well, I can pray and I got unity. I'm just going to go for it. No, no, no. Well, I, I, I'm seeking God's will and I've studied scripture, but I haven't really prayed. About it. No, you got to do them all. You want to make the right decision? Is it important enough to you that you make the right decision? Because you've made wrong decisions in the past that negatively affected you and those around you. So isn't it time that you start making the right decisions in life? You don't want to repeat those mistakes? Yes. This is how. You do all four of these things. When you have a big decision, you do all four of them. And don't you move a muscle until you know that God's given you the answer. May take, hey, for these guys, it took just a few days to happen. It may take you a few years. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Stop making the wrong decision. You wonder why sometimes your life seems like a hamster wheel, just bad decision after bad decision. You can't get ahead. You can't go anywhere in life. You can't move forward. You can't break out of that cycle. Maybe because you're making the wrong decision because there's not unity. You're not praying about it. You're not seeking God. You're not basing it in Scripture. Stop making the wrong decision. You want to know how to make the right decision when you face a big decision. Be committed in unity. Be committed to prayer. Be committed to Scripture. And be committed to trusting in God's will. This is how the disciples made the big, first big decision after Jesus. We should follow their example by doing these four things. What if every husband, every wife, every family, every boss, every employee, every church, every pastor made decisions solely based on these four things? What would your life look like if you, from now on, today, you make the commitment, I'm going to start making big decisions in my life based on these four things? What would your life look like? How would it be different? It's going to be a life of peace. It's going to be a life of being in God's perfect will. And when other outside negative people make bad decisions that negatively affect you, God will use those things to turn them into a positive in your life. That's what we see in Acts chapter 1, 12 through 26. What if every church made these decisions? Every boss, every place that you work, we would have a different world indeed. I mean, stand with me if you would as we end in prayer this morning.
Our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that your word is alive and active. It is not a dead document, but it is alive. It is unchanging. It is truth. Father, and we thank you that in your word, like in the first half of chapter 1 of Acts, that it's, it's a part of something exciting, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be consumed with the Holy Spirit, to have the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. And we, we see those things, and we want those things, and we get excited about those things in our lives. But we also thankful that your word has, has practical guides as well to make big decisions like the disciples did here based on these four things. They're not revolutionary. They're not uh, maybe life-changing to some people, but they're truth. And big decisions in our life, just like the disciples, must be based on these four things. Father, I pray that every person in this room would make decisions based on unity with those around them. They would base it in deep prayer. They would base it on the truth of your scripture. And they would trust you for the results and be faithful to follow through and not second guess or question you. And that their life would be blessed. Their life would be a life of peace. They wouldn't make wrong decisions anymore, but a life of peace in your guidance. And that when other people make decisions that negatively seem like they would affect them, just like Judas, Lord, you can turn that into a positive. That your will is bigger than any one person's negative decision. Father, I ask that you'd bless us as a church. As we say every Sunday with greater unity greater love for one another. Help us to be a biblically healthy, fruit-bearing church that changes lives for your kingdom in our community through passionate worship of your presence, through solid biblical teaching and living, through using our gifts in ministry and actively sharing our faith to those around us. Father, may we as a church, starting with me and our elders and all those in ministry positions and, and those that come and are faithful week in and week out, may we, anytime we make big decisions as a church, even small decisions, be guided by these four unchanging truths and principles found firmly in your word. Help us to always have unity. Help us to always pray and seek your will. Help us to always, Father, base it in scripture and help us to always trust you for the results and be faithful to follow you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. I ask that you bless every person that is here, that your favor would rest upon them, that your face would shine upon them, that they would grow more in love with you and deeper in the truth of your word and honor you in all that they do. Bless them with their families and their homes. That you keep them safe. Let them stand up and stand out for you. May you bless us as a body of believers to honor you in all that we do, that we would actively and passionately share our faith, that the power of the Holy Spirit would flow from this place through the streets of Bridgeville and call your township and change lives for your kingdom. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we're nothing without you. We give this day to you. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.